This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 3rd of December 2019. It's the start of a very special one, Jan. It's a trilogy. We've got a trilogy going on. I never dared hope we would ever reach another trilogy. It's the first indeed, one. Indeed. I, I think this is the second one. And you know only so well because I asked you five <laughs> minutes before we started recording. But this is how you make good radio, Dave. Oh, man, people. Oh. Help me. Help me. Help me help you. Anyway, if you got some help. Remote working. Remote working. We have some help. We have an expert. Um, we're also a little bit experienced in this space, so we have stuff to stay to. But uh, without any further ado, unless you have anything else to say. And uh, no, let's start this uh, first part of this three parter trilogy. I don't know any other ways of saying three. Okay. You could just say three. But anyway, yes. Three. Rodolfo is going to talk to us. <laughs> Founder of Remotive.io, and we're going to have a a long and interesting discussion about remote working. Some very deep, open-hearted talks going on there, people. So we're joined here today by uh, another special guest. Isn't this exciting, Jan? We're having guests so much. It's, it's, it's great. I don't have to work anymore. I can just leave you and the guests do all the hard stuff. It's great. I know. I know. Well, you're always going on about the fact that uh, I, I never do any work. So here you go. This is me doing some work. Yeah. It's um, just talking about stuff working. Yeah, I don't know. I guess our guests is. can answer that question. Of course it is. Um, and yes, so our special guest, before we get completely sidetracked uh, today... Too late. Is, yeah, possibly, is uh, Rudolf from uh, Remotive.io. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, everyone. So uh, introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, you know, what, uh, what brought you to this, uh, this glorious place of uh, remote working? <laughs> so I'm a remote worker and I absolutely love working in tech and working remotely. So for the past uh, six years, I guess. I've been uh, building a website and I've been educating myself on what it means to work remotely and what it means to be productive whilst working remotely as well. So I've been in remote employee and I've run a website that helps people, um, you know, get remote workers and tells. Fantastic. Um, and we're, we're, you know, throughout this interview, we're going to be chipping in some of our experiences as well. I mean, I've been remote working for... Uh, I think probably over 15 years now. Um, I, I, I couldn't imagine any other, any other option. I must admit, um, Jon, how about you? How, how long has your remote working career been running for? I would have to look on my LinkedIn page to be sure, but things must be about six or seven years now. And that's across, uh, about three companies. Yeah. And the interesting thing there is, and also one of the reasons we have this uh, interview with Rodolf, that each company kind of goes a, a different way. And to be honest, I haven't really found the perfect way of doing this. So it's definitely a subject that's uh, worth discussing, I think. Yeah, definitely. So. One of the things that we're going to try and do here, and uh, please, uh, everybody, try and keep me honest on this, we're going to try and make sure that when we talk about each of the different topics, we we make sure we cover it both from the perspective of uh, an employee, but also the employer as well. You know, what are the benefits on on both sides? Because I truly believe that there are significant benefits to be had. And there are also, you know, potential pitfalls to be aware of. So um, 
I will I will try and remember that I want to ask the question from both perspectives, but if I don't, uh, please do jump in and correct me. And uh, with that, I think we can probably start off with the, the most basic question of uh, um, what is remote working? Rodolf, what's, uh, what's your definition of remote working? Yeah, so... I really like the definition that uh, Jason Fried gave of this. Jason Fried is the founder of Basecamp and they've mm-hmm. certainly been vocal and thinking about this topic for quite some time. They even wrote a book about it called Remote. And it said something that I really like and it goes something like this. It said, remote work is when there's no advantage to going to the office and there's no disadvantage to not going to the office. So effectively, it's when you create an environment where folks are contributing and it does not matter where they are. So you have a set of um, processes, a set of expectation, and a set of rules that allows people to contribute wherever they are. Nice, nice. And I think that one of the questions we often, um, you know, often get from this is why why remote work? Why is it something that is? Um, you know, more and more present today. What's what's the sort of the driving force between so much uh, remote working? That's a good one. So as you said before, it's very interesting to explore it from an employer's perspective and an employee's perspective. So first, from an employer's perspective, you get to see that there's a massive pressure to find talented developers that can be helping to accelerate startup or just contribute altogether. And when you think about the traditional benchmark that Silicon Valley had on talents, you get to see that starting salary for some engineers or developers are nearing 200K for someone fresh out of college. So (laughs) from an employer's perspective, it's getting really, really expensive to get to match Google or GAFA's starting salaries, not even to speak about tenured salaries. So Mm -hmm. cost is certainly a driver. And second, you've got talented people everywhere. Uh, your yeah. talent should not be limited to your visa or your zip code. And you've got great people like yourselves based in the UK, folks in Europe from any continent that now have a technology that's good enough for them to contribute from anywhere. So having that pressure for talent and having those folks being able to contribute, uh, I think that's a perfect storm that helps remote work take off. I mean, I, th- I think from the employee sort of direction, you've also got the angles that people are, are you know, more and more trying to juggle and find some sort of work-life balance. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, in many cases, remote working also adds a, a layer of flexibility to the, the sort of the modern lifestyle where, you know, people do need to, to take time out to, you know, run kids to and from school and, uh, you know, attend uh, other meetings that otherwise it would be impossible for them to do if they just had a, you know, a fixed nine to five job uh, in an office um, where they were required to go to, you know, every day, you know, unless they can take time off to do those specific things. Absolutely. And that's, to some extent, that's what got me started in remote work as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Back in 2011, I was working at Google. And when I visited the Mountain View campus, it was absolutely brilliant. You had all the toys you could wish for. You had all those, uh, you know, swimming pools and on-site hairdresser. And the stance of those large companies were to maximize the time you were spending on campus, much like college. 
And you had mm. all those brilliant people that be living in downtown San Francisco and going to Mountain View, California each and every day. And that's, depending on traffic, hour and a half to up to two and a half hours in total each day. So everything you just said, which is about, you know, picking picking up kids from school or having time for yourself or being more flexible together, that gets to be very, very hard and difficult when you have to commute and spend two to three hours in a car each day. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we'll get on to we'll get on to some of the some of the, the pros and cons a little bit later in 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 more detail. But you often hear so you hear two different phrases very regularly. So you hear remote working. You also hear um, another phrase, distributed working. And you know, in your opinion, are those the same sort of thing, or or is there a difference? Yeah. So I feel like. I enjoy the term distributed some more because for me, the representation it has is that everybody is equal and everybody is distributed across different location. Whereas remote sometimes has a component of we're central and you're remote. So it mm-hmm. feels more like a contrast mm-hmm. than a definition. But what I feel is happening is that they're largely covering the same things right now. You say distributed company or company offering remote work. And among those two definitions, you'll have variations. You'll have folks who have an HQ and a bunch of people uh, in different countries, folks who have different offices. So you have different flavors within those uh, that, that definition of either distributed or remote work. Mm. Yeah, I kind of agree because it's more of a feel in the word, right? Because uh, in the earlier companies word for it, they had these remote workers, which were, I'm not going to say second class citizens. No, I, I think <laughs> but it's sometimes absolutely there was a kind fair of to that. say second class citizens yeah. in, in many cases. But now at our work, we call it a distributed organization, which actually means that people that do go to the office are still distributed. They're just yes. in a central place somewhere, but they're, they're using the same kind of tools, the same kind of uh, way of working, methods of working as uh, the, the people that work from a non-central location, be mm-hmm. it their homes or any kind of leased places or whatever. Yeah, True. yeah, no, definitely. One of the sort of the things that this... It's almost like we planned it kind of seamlessly leads into <laughs> is the the, the different um, perspectives that employers can have on remote working so that the, the two most common that I'm aware of are uh, remote friendly versus remote first um, and in, in, my, in my opinion having worked for both remote friendly and remote first organizations in the past I can say that like remote friendly, again, from my perspective, is actually not a thing that should really exist. Remote friendly <laughs> is is that whole kind of, yeah, you can be remote, but you know, you may not be plugged into a lot of the conversations that still happen in the office. And, you know, yeah. you, you might, I mean, it is that sort of second class citizen sort of experience, whereas remote first is... Um, is a conscious decision by an organization to fully encompass remote employees and in fact encourage remote working um, and ensure that you know decisions conversations discussions are all done with uh, remote employees based in mind and you know things like yes using all the same tools but also just being very conscious that you know just because a conversation might start in an office um, you know, as soon as it's something that is worth you know, 
actually a, a proper discussion on making sure that you know all of the right people involved, regardless of where they're located, uh, are kind of looped in. So, I I obviously have very strong feelings on this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, um, Rudolf, what what about you? Do do you see this kind of strong distinction between remote friendly and remote first as well? Yeah, it's it's very strongly company to company. You have some. Um, company that's very happy to work asynchronously. So those people tend to be more flexible and it tends to matter a little bit less whether you're remote first or remote friendly when you're asynchronous because you don't have to show up the same amount. What's for sure is that every time you get three people in a room, chit chat's going to start. It's only human. So people are going to go and grab a beer, going to go for lunch, and you're going to have two different levels of information. And it's a very hard thing to catch up on when you're a remote worker. So w- what I've been observing is that some companies start remote from the get-go and sort of grow that way, where other mm. remote-friendly, they are in an office and then they realize that talent is tricky to um, to get or or it's, it's, it's a tough equilibrium and they start hiring remotely. And if you're in that setup that you describe as remote-friendly, I always have a few telltales indicator. I always wonder uh, things such as, is your manager going to be working remotely as well? Mm-hmm. Are there people sitting in the executive committee that are either remote workers or champions from remote work? Um, if not, it may be a trickier conversation because effectively you're the proof of concept, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> either other people have been, you know, trying it and making a case for it or the very first people. And that could be a tough spot to be in because you've got to go over the trust you got to go over the chit chat. You've got to go about the over the synchronous versus asynchronous communication. So you always have to keep in mind: Am I the first one to be remote at this company, or are there other people? Has has it been accepted, or in, is it ticking well too? Yeah, I mean, when I hear remote friendly, I I actually hear remote tolerated. But uh, I actually like the the synchronous versus asynchronous communication yeah. thing you bring up there. That's not something I've heard before in this conversation, but that totally rings true for me. Can, can you maybe explain a little bit deeper? Sure. So a few companies are really trying to push for asynchronous communication. Uh, Doist, uh, a maker of the uh, productivity app Todoist, for instance, are, are, are doing that with a team of 80 people. And what they say is that they want to have call work communication. So they don't require you to do stand-ups. They don't require you to do um, instant reply in Slack anytime you get pinged. They say you're going to be working on your own schedule effectively. So time zone management sort of fades mm-hmm. away somewhat because you're still meeting sometimes, but not as frequently as a uh, team that, for instance, will require you to work um, Eastern hours or, or, or uh, GMT plus one hours. So mm. asynchronous can be part of the answer because then it literally uh, removes the advantage of being in an office because everyone's going to be chiming in online. Yeah, that actually sounds like being remote means you're remote on two axes. You're remote on a distance axis, but also on a, a time axis. On a Yeah, you're, you're distributed not just geographically, but also in time zones. That's, yeah. Uh, important thing to to, to 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 keep in mind there uh, definitely also because of the whole agile thing coming up you just mentioned the stand-ups i mean if you're working agile then you must have this weekly stand-up but everybody goes into one room and uh, maybe chat room or physical room and does their stand-up thing now how does that yeah how do people cope with that in your experience 
I feel like it's they have to be in a different um, time frame or different methodology when it comes to mm-hmm. product management. So oftentimes, I, either they work in the uh, base camp six week cycle sort of thing, or they're just on a different schedule. So the interesting thing here is to see what kind of growth and ambitions a startup has, and is this compatible with an asynchronous, um, you know, type of management as well. Oftentimes, yeah. I find that those companies are happy. Uh, growing slower or just being in the product development cycle that is a bit slower um, to make sure that everyone can sort of work comfortably through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we actually have, um, we we do have a lot of uh, stand-ups that uh, happen and Grafana Labs is definitely one organization that is uh, very much remote first. Uh, post geographic is another phrase that gets thrown around um, but the way that the way that we handle uh, stand ups here is actually um they're 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 fully done on um google meets and they the other interesting thing that i i think i have i have seen elsewhere although not quite as much as here is the stand ups and the weekly meetings for teams are also open to the rest of the company so that sort of the, the the transparency of things is something else that I think is really important mm. when you're talking about remote working because the the sort of the it's very easy to to kind of get lost amongst the noise or to not not be aware of other initiatives that are going on if if you're not as as you were saying earlier uh, Rodolf you know involved in some of the just the the chit chat that happens um, so I think that that sort of yeah. that's something else that um, I think yeah. it works really well. Yeah, but I don't think that doing things like having virtual stand-ups or meetings uh, over I don't know Zoom, Skype. Uh, you said something else, Dave. Uh, meet from uh, from Google. You 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 cover the geographical distances from people from that because everybody can join in, but you don't cover the time zone differences. Because I've had a, a couple of late nights <laughs> because I needed to <laughs> join a conference call uh, that was planned some time Pacific time zone, and it was like I don't know eleven at night here. Now I did have a choice not to attend, but then I was kept out of the chit chat. Mm-hmm. I mean, official chit chat in this case. So. I mean, actually, the, the question just asked uh, to uh, Rodolfo was more pointed at how would you approach this problem and still have a way of having people be in the group, even across time zones, even across yeah different halves of the world? Yeah. Because a simple Zoom call chat doesn't solve that. Yeah, so that's a great one. And I feel like it translates in a couple of things. First, the mindset of the company. Um, being a company with explicit communication is tricky, but it's very rewarding as well. You have companies such as GitLab that is now valued of a billion dollar, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they have a public handbook. Um, if it was to be printed today, if I'm not mistaken, it'd be over 3,000 page long. Um, so <laughs> each and every employee, when they come across an edge case, they'll update the little paragraph that is about what they encounter. And that ends up being a small internal wiki, well, a huge internal wiki <laughs> uh, with all those things. So. They're very, um, they're very, very, you know, explicit about communicating and just getting that information out there. Um, mm-hmm. You can also have folks who have a mindset of, if it's on Slack, it did not happen. Like I use Slack as Signal, but whatever mm-hmm. software I use is where things are going to happen. But um, to go back to your question, I feel like the time zone one is a huge component, and what I've seen work best, which is not ideal, but still 
is that leadership or managers had enough empathy for folks all around the globe to rotate those times and rotate those meetings. Mm, so exactly if you must right. have them and after you do, you've got to make sure that it's not only that one person in Australia that wakes up at odd hours in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, share yeah. the suffering. Right? There's, there's, there's actually one other thing, which is to make sure that, so first of all, yes, absolutely cycle the meetings, but also make sure that those meetings are recorded as well. Yes. So the yeah. people that can't, you know, aren't, sh- first of all, shouldn't be expected to wake up at really weird hours, but they can go and check in, you know, what happened on you know the last call. And then, you know, the next one cycles to their, you know, more time zone friendly session and they can then contribute on that one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and actually uh, in preparation for this uh, interview, I actually watched a couple of YouTube videos about the whole remote working thing. There was one about, I think it was Trello, who actually say that if, if we're just having a conversation with some colleagues in the kitchen, so not a structured meeting, call setup, whatever, but just some colleagues have been talking about work-related stuff, they have to put a summary on whatever communication channels they use i think nice. they were using slack or something mm-hmm. whatever they're using but just if you have something discussed and there was a kind of conclusion coming out it had also to be repeated by one of the com- uh, participants on their communication channel so that people that weren't in the office or in the time zones at least knew that this happened or was discussed or could chime in which is hard to do and it's a it's a, a time uh, uh, spent <laughs> but uh, it does sound like a good idea and i heard it sounded like a good idea this yeah. It feels pretty great. Like no, from like a cultural that. standpoint, they're making mm-hmm. decisions so that a, each and every little bit yeah. of communication gets recorded. Uh, Trello also had a practice whereby if you were to be taking a call from the office, they had a one person per computer policy, whereas you'd be not, you won't be dining into a conference room where one remote worker will be facing eight people in conference room. It'd be one person, one screen. And it's a little bit of empathy mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. that I think builds a culture where you can welcome those remote workers. Yeah, it sounds more and more like it's it's the small things that make mm-hmm. this work. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it's the small things that make it or break it. It, it, yeah. it can be like death by a thousand paper cuts, or it can be the most <laughs> amazing thing ever, depending on, on which direction it goes. Heaven by flower petals? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, um, no, so if we, so we're talking about a lot of the um, the pros in, you know, both in our experience and in conversations that we've had around remote working, but what are some of the, what are some of the cons for remote working? What are some of the, some of the downsides in your opinions? There certainly are a few. First, it gets lonely out there. I mean, two of you have been doing it for a number of years and it can get lonely. Like some people really like the interaction. They really like the mm. hustle and bustle of the office. They love being interrupted and someone f- to tap on their shoulder and just pull them aside and have this lunch with colleagues and stuff. So that can be tricky. And that comes up all the time for remote workers. Like I miss the interaction or I'm missing out. So some people go to co-working spaces or are creature of habits and very happy to work from home. But certainly it's hard to expect someone who's done very well in an office to overnight become a great remote worker because you lose your bearings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a few things that, you know, I've seen uh, done before uh, to try and ease people into remote working. So there's, there's things like, um, some tools have been more successful than others, some not so successful, but there's things like, um, 
trying to remember the name of the tool, but it essentially created sort of virtual meeting places that you could just be yeah. in at the same time as other kind of uh, other remote employees and it, it just left like a, a continuous open, almost open mic channel, or you could, you know, toggle yeah, it to talk. Um, uh, but it's one of those things that, again, it, it feels like if you've only got a subset of people using it, it's not really as effective as if you've got, you know, a, a larger set of people using it to give it that sort of that, uh, that momentum. Yeah, yeah, we got the same uh, elastic. We have uh, Slack channels that are just open channels, let's say. Yeah. But uh, one thing I would like to remark here is that uh, one of our tenants is come as you are. And all of these stuffs, one of the bad things that can happen is that it gets forced upon you. You have to have this open channel open. Mm. I need to concentrate. I need to do something. No, you must. We don't do that, just to be clear. But yeah. in other companies I've worked for, there have been this, we need to do this new working kind of thing, this remote working kind of thing, this is how we're going to do it and everybody needs to do these things. I feel, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that if you can't have flexibility in there and have people work more or less the way that they feel comfortable working, they will do mm. their best work that way, you have to give them that freedom or else it's yeah. doomed to failure. Absolutely. If you, if you swap a set of policy, which is please drive to our office, to another set of policy, which is please be distracted on Slack, <laughs> it's going to be tricky for sure. Um, yeah, that happens so by itself. <laughs> it does. It does quite a bit. So the human element is so important. Once again, assigning a buddy to someone who's just joined, assigning mm-hmm. you know someone who's never worked remotely, getting someone who's not a manager and that cannot stress how important that is, someone you do not report to, that can help you understand how to concentrate, what to tune in, what to tune out, and more importantly, when to stop working as well. Because one of the yeah. biggest mistakes I see yeah. about remote workers, especially folks getting started, is I'm getting paid working from home, but am I giving them enough bang for their buck? When do I stop <laughs> working at night? Do I need to make that 11 p.m. San Francisco conscience call? So if nobody is teaching you the rope, you are at risk of burnout with the next the first three to six months, I believe. Yeah. So getting yeah. someone who's going to check on you was not necessarily HR, not necessarily your boss. I feel it's very, very mm-hmm. important. Preferably somebody from a different department altogether because yeah. they don't have any kind of benefit or non-benefit by your performance or whatever, just trying to get you. Because, yeah, that was one of the things that I, that hit me hard when I first did the remote working thing, the, the guilt, <laughs> the feeling of That's guilt. That's huge. That's huge. <laughs> we don't talk about this now, but it's big. Like yeah. you, It's a privileged position to work from home or work remotely, but when do you stop working? When have you given enough? And often that goes unsaid or unspoken, so we need to make that a bit more explicit. I think that's that's probably one of the most uh, one of the most common pitfalls that people fall into, and also one of the things that is absolutely um, the least acknowledged in in this whole kind of topic so far, yeah. because that it. We'll we'll get a little bit onto like the home office a little bit later, but that that separation of your your work life and your home life when you're remote working in many cases is is far too easy for those things to to blur together. <laughs> you mentioned yep. kind of co working spaces, which are a, definitely a good way for people to help delineate that and help mm-hmm. kind of manage that sort of separation. But it's I mean, we, we live in this this world now where we are always connected. You know, you've always got um, various communication apps on, on your phones and, you know, 
every every machine that you you turn towards and the the sort of the ability to just be able to switch across to those. No, I just wonder how such and such is getting on or how that project's going or, mm. oh, I've just had a thought about, you know, something else that, you know, I should go and check and how, how that's progressing, which is both awesome and also really potentially dangerous for people that are susceptible to, you know, burning out very quickly if they don't that's give true. them enough um, time don't give themselves enough time that's true and we think about employers perspective as well we've got to remember that people that work remotely have those two questions popping up in their head on fridays every single friday is am i doing enough and am yeah. i at the risk of being fired because i'm not doing enough <laughs> and you may be very senior but if you join a new company so, you do not know what the expectations are yeah. so we have to be even more proactive saying what's okay what's not okay and even outlining what happens with employees if they don't do too well within the company as a wiki or as a uh, document or just have those conversation, it helps alleviate that anxiety that sometimes crops in and say, well, I'm not sure I'm doing too well. So I'll turn to overwork to make it up. And then that's a bad cycle to be in. So it, yeah. it's important we, we look into that, I guess. Yeah, I guess a good feedback from your manager and coworkers is also very important. I mean, being it's very easy when you're working remotely that you, you kind of lose touch because yes, you have to be autonomous. You have to be able to work on your own pace and make sure that you do what you have to do. And one of the things that is often miss, uh, I don't know, uh, miss mishandled is still having a regular weekly or bi-weekly meeting with your manager to just check okay this is what i did is this within the scope of acceptability or not am i doing good am i doing bad it's, it's a lot more important if you're doing being remote i feel than when you're in the office and you have these uh, i don't know wink nudges uh, shoulder taps from the boss anyway because he's nearby absolutely and i feel it's about drawing the line very often it's not because you part with the with the office that you're going to lose contact with management and mentorship so if you don't have a mentorship program or, or mm -hmm. uh, process outline, if you don't have management as in feedback and reinforcement, you, you, you don't have much left in, unless you do a holacracy, which is another conversation, then you don't have management anymore. Uh, but that's pretty mm -hmm. rare. If you still in traditional structure, <laughs> it's just convert.com, for instance, is a startup that does holacracy and remote work. Very interesting wow. startup. But most of us will still have management and we need that reinforcement and at least feedback cycles. Yeah. I, when, I feel we've the, been talking a lot about the employee side at yeah. the moment. So unless Dave, you want to go continue mention, this. Yeah, yeah. The, when we're talking about this, uh, some of the cons from the employer's perspective, one of the things that um, I, I sort of is definitely in the back of my mind is I think there is there is an overhead that, I think some employers perhaps don't fully gr grasp when we're talking about um, remote working and remote employees that I think you have to be you have to be more proactive as an employer. You have to be more structured, more aware of how you're engaging with your teams and more aware of how you're engaging with them impacts them than you necessarily would have to be with just a you know a standard office you know nine till five or eight till six or whatever, do you do you agree with that? Do you do you not think that's the case? I absolutely agree. I feel like you're 
you're gaining the upside of tapping into an unlimited talent pool. So zip code mm-hmm. is not a like a restriction anymore, but you have to get organized. You have to organize those physical meetups or retreats or offsites. You have to get those processes in place. And interestingly, again, I always try and turn to see how leadership is acting because you may want to open up uh, you know, a few remote positions within your company, but I wonder how much empathy the leadership team has. So has the VP of engineering been working remotely before? Have they tried yeah. it? Are, are they keen to make it a trial, even for folks who work in an office to create some empathy for folks who are outside of the office? So what's the buy-in you get from your leadership team when you're starting to introduce it is a big, big question. And then following through. So where do I find best practices? Am I open enough to say, this is going to be a lot of work because it certainly is, yeah. but the upside yeah. is well worth it. And you, you touched on something that I think is really interesting as well, is that this is not, this is also not necessarily, it's not necessarily a cost saving. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. cheaper per se, because you still do want to try and get people together on a, some sort of regular basis where regular could mean annually, could mean once a quarter, you know. The, it, it doesn't mean because you're a remote-first organization or you have a remote team. It doesn't, ma- doesn't necessarily mean that those people will never, ever physically meet. And in fact, I would argue that it's really useful that those people should actually meet face-to-face on some sort of regular basis. Does that, does that kind of um, meet with the same sort of things that you expect? For sure. Absolutely. I feel like remote it, remote is what happened between the two times where you meet. So you don't have to mm. meet all the time, but you, I, I feel like to create bond, to create way to relate to one another, you have to meet at times. And a certain number of people from the technology space have had the muscle memory to associate remote work with outsourcing or offshoring. And mm-hmm. they have a CFO-like reflex saying, well, I'll get mm-hmm. international talent. It's going to be cheaper. And I feel that's a very dangerous line of thinking because yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, overall, yeah. yeah, if you want to think about, you know, travels, home office and, and potentially matching, especially for American companies hiring internationally, mimicking or uh, having some sort of benefit that resemble what you're offering uh, domestically in the US, it's, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be nothing. You're still going to have to pay those good people to, for their work. So You've got to understand that it's going to take a lot of effort and it's going to be an interesting budget. Maybe not San Francisco-like at all times, although it could, Mm -hmm. but you're still going to be investing in your people. Yeah, it's definitely a good point because I'm 100% certain that the first company that I worked for that did remote working, their sole reason for doing it was we either moved to a bigger building, which is going to cost more, or we're going to do this remote working thing. So, yeah, not really the right (laughs) way to go. Um, Do you think that, I mean, this is now six, seven years ago. Do you think that today this is still happening a lot with companies that are trying to see this as a cost-cutting measure? Or do you think, do you feel that this is now more mature and people doing this for the, air quotes, right reasons? I think you see both. I think you see both. You see folks (laughs) who are definitely trying to cut the cost and and they cannot find talent in the U.S. Because even good people like Lambda School are not getting enough cohorts to graduate out to fill the needs. And uh, other people are saying, well, I don't want mercenaries. I want people that come to me for my mission and for my values. I want, a people, I want people to stick around for three to five years. 
and mm-hmm. uh, you see a distinction. I think if you really want to see the distinction, head over to company.com slash values, company.com slash careers, and you get to see those bullet points, whether they sort of slap remote working there because it feels popular and they can get more talent, or whether <laughs> they have a narrative and they have interest, even though it's recent, but they're really thinking this through. I feel like reading this job description and career page, it sort of shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. <laughs> you touched on something that I, I, I hadn't even thought about, which is the, the muscle memory thing between offshoring and remote working. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a horrific thought that someone might actually yep. be thinking about it from that perspective. It's, I think it has happened quite a bit <laughs> uh, in the past and, and especially larger organization, they, your investor will understand very easily that if you get to hire someone internationally, it'd be cheaper and maybe, you know, mm. you may have to check on those people. But, you know, that has happened so much that I feel like we're still recovering from this to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's it for the first part of this uh, three-parter. How do you enjoy it? I absolutely loved it. Great discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot more still to come. Uh, two more episodes going. Of course, they'll be interspersed with the news episodes as we always do it. Uh, big thank you to Rodolfi, of course, for this first part uh, of his contribution to the Roaring Podcast uh, universe, if I can say that. <laughs> you can say that. You just did. I just did, so I can. Anything else from you that's a little more intelligent or is this just how it's going to end? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty much how it's going to end. Then, as our listeners are aware, probably this is all the time we have for today. Let's just put a stop on it. You can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Every contribution helps. We appreciate our patrons very much. We are on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and ring the notification bell, do all the YouTube stuff. Please go to www.roaringhouse.org for a link to our Patreon page and any other information about this very podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the AttitudeCast tag, and you can send your feedback by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until the next time, we'll have the second part of this interview with Rodolf. My name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>